Hello, this is Never Heard of It Podcast. I'm Sean Harwell. And I'm Craig Moorhead, and this is the podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through or around your cracks. That's right, and we've got a heck of a movie to fit through our cracks today because it's called Rhinoceros. This is a 1974, uh, I've seen it called a comedy, fantasy, etc., a uh, movie directed by Tom O'Horgan, based on the screenplay by noted playwright Eugene Ionescu, starring Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder, and also a lovely appearance by Karen Black. This movie was suggested to us by listener in front of the show, David Piles. David, thank you. And we hope you'll make suggestions as well. You can find us at NeverHeardPodcast.com, on Twitter at NeverPodcast, on Facebook, on YouTube, etc. So come say hello. Hello. Craig, how are you? I'm doing all right, Sean. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, pretty good. I have not transitioned into um, a pachyderm today. That's good. That's probably a sign that everything is going well. Yeah, I mean, for a Wednesday, it's not too bad, right? It's true. Well, obviously, I think that should bring us to our synopsis, (laughs) which is coming today from Wikipedia. Now, uh, this is Rhinoceros again, and the plot of Rhinoceros is this. The residents of a large town are inexplicably turning into rhinoceroses. Stanley, played by Gene Wilder, is a mild-mannered office clerk who watches the bizarre transformations from a bemused distance. But soon the strange occurrences invade his personal space as his neighbor and best friend John, played by Zero Mostel, and his girlfriend Daisy, played by Karen Black, become part of the human-into-rhinoceros metamorphosis that is taking place. Eventually, Stanley realizes that he may be the only human left amidst the new rhinoceros majority. Uh, Craig, obviously, I had never heard of this movie because that's why we chose it. Um, You had, in fact, you mentioned that you had seen this as a play. Now, um, I'm curious, let's go ahead and just kind of talk about this a little bit. How recently did you see the play? Uh, over, Over a decade ago. Okay, so not that No, recently. it's been a while. <laughs> um, did you remember... Okay, well, first of all, did you know what the play was about when you went to see it, if you can recall? I had no clue. A friend of mine was in it here in D.C. Uh, it sounded like a fun thing to go see. I, I, I knew the, the general premise of it, but I had no idea about its history, its playwright, none of that. So I, I went in fairly cold into, the, into that play. And at the time, did you have any idea that there was a, a film adaptation of it? No. No, and yeah, until we heard about this now, I had no idea there was a film adaptation of it. I knew absolutely nothing about it. And in fact, I didn't read the synopsis or anything. So I got to say, like the way the movie kind of unfolds, I did not realize <laughs> that people were turning into rhinoceroses for quite some time. <laughs> I think that might have helped me a little bit, but I did figure that out. Obviously, I think it, it becomes extremely clear, specifically in one scene involving uh you know, John, the neighbor upstairs, uh, played by Zero Mostel. But uh, I don't know. It was an interesting experience for sure. This is definitely a movie that does not have much of a modern counterpart that I know of. But I'm kind of curious, like, what are just your initial thoughts on this thing? Specifically, you know, we can talk a little bit later, but just, you know, as far as if you want to say right now whether you enjoyed it more than the play or less than the play, I think that might be kind of interesting to know. But uh, just, you know, what are your kind of basic, primal thoughts on this movie? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny watching it. I, I was reminded of the play. I, I was kind of surprised about how much of the play I remembered watching the movie. The play itself was basically in a black box, so very minimal set 
you know, so it was even, you had even less uh, contextual uh, clues as to things that were going on. So, so it, it was kind, it was kind of nice to have all this sort of filled in and you kind of felt like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a little bit more in a realistic setting, even though nothing that I'm watching feels terribly <laughs> right. realistic. Um, yeah. uh, did I enjoy it? Absolutely. Did I understand every bit of it? Not, not necessarily. Right. Uh, there, there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot uh, uh, that wants to chew on you. Ooh. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means, but it sounded smart. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the experience of watching the movie, I, I enjoyed it a good bit. One of the things I want to just talk about real quickly is, you know, in the movie, you're sort of treated to this, you know, it's a, just a fun little title sequence. You're almost like the odd couple where you're seeing Zero Mostel is is very uh, put together, you know, almost like a dandy of sorts, um, you know, wearing his suit and walking through town and literally dusting off a, a homeless person with, with a handkerchief. Uh, and then, you know, you're comparing that to Gene Wilder, who's waking up with a clear hangover. His tie is like tied around his head. He drops his alarm clock in the toilet, all this stuff. And then they come together in a restaurant and that scene sort of unfolds and you get the sense um, I think maybe I did know that this was based on a play because we had talked about that, but pretty much from the get-go there, yeah, it feels like these are two people that are conversing in a way that I recognize as being theatrical. And not that's not to say that anything that this playwright uh, Ionesco has done, that you know, if this is any indication, we're not talking about big set pieces, you know, musical numbers or anything like that. It, it is more like just straight dialogue and and you might say stagey dialogue definitely definitely you know there's a lot of sort of like call and response of sorts there's questions that get answered by other questions well that that aren't really answers at all uh one of the things i thought was interesting though is you know you sort of pretty much it's within that first scene probably within the first five ten minutes you know hear about the fact that there is a rhinoceros on the loose and you never actually see a rhinoceros throughout the entirety of this movie, but they use a lot of baddish sound effects <laughs> and a lot of the sounds of like hooves on pavements and, and shaking. And, and it's sort of like rattling the entire town, which I don't know if a rhinoceros would actually do that or not. But I, I was wondering if that was sort of duplicated in the stage version or how did they handle that? Was that all just kind of pumped in through the the PA? Yeah. As far as like these rhinoceros noises. I mean, as I remember, it was it was very very similar. Yeah, you don't ever see an actual rhinoceros. I think there was much like this. You 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 saw maybe you saw a shadow of a rhinoceros, but most of it was sound effects. And I mean, and that was it. There was really no other, no, no really uh, a visual representation of an actual rhinoceros anywhere. Well, and now how did that work for you in the film? Because I, I after a while, I definitely. Well, it might be not even after a while. I mean, pretty early on, I'm like, oh, it would have been nice to see a rhinoceros. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's like you kind of want, they sort of cheat around that in so many ways yeah. that. Um, well, it's a good question. I, I mean, you know, yeah. what what is the choice there? Uh, it seems like there, there's, a, there's a conscious choice. We're not going to show any rhinoceros. Maybe because it would be too expensive to, to deal with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you definitely start to feel it, it. It definitely feels more and more like a play as you go on, and and it, it feels very claustrophobic. And I don't know how much that helps the story that it feels claustrophobic. You're in his apartment for a very long time. You never get to go outside. There's always something outside that you kind of want to be able to see that you never get to see. Which 
at times was a little distracting. Yeah, and you know, there's part of me saying that now that it is like, well, I don't know, if I saw a rhinoceros, would I somehow be disappointed? Like, would you lose some of what's um, just kind of absurd and, and farcical about the whole thing? Or would you lose some of that mystery even if they did show it? Yeah. But uh, I, I think, you know, all of this kind of plays into tone, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit and the, sort of the choices and, and where this kind of movie veers in sort of broad comedy strokes. But I, I thought maybe before we do that, it might be interesting to just kind of make sure we cover our bases as far as the intentions of these things. And um, Ionesco, you know, I'm just reading from Wikipedia here, but he was a French-Romanian playwright, uh, mostly wrote in French, and was one of the foremost figures of the French avant-garde theater. Uh, it says, beyond ridiculing the most banal situations, his plays depict, depict excuse me, the solitude and insignificance of human existence in a tangible way. I think that's important to know because that's clearly on display in this movie. But this movie also is a byproduct of something that was called the American Film Theater. And this I thought was really, really kind of fascinating. I don't know if you looked at this at all, but uh, again, from Wikipedia here, uh, this was a limited run series of film adaptations of stage plays. And they did two seasons of this from 73 to 75. They made 14 movies, which is super impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't care what you're doing in those movies. Just to make 14 periods is impressive. They were 500 theaters in 400 cities, admission based on subscription to the entire series. Oh, wow. I've never in my life heard of anything like that before. No. And to, and to get that, how, how, do you, how do you get that going in the 70s? I don't know. I yeah, I mean, I, I think there's like film societies that obviously like you can pay like an annual fee and they'll show like, you know, the, the classics sure. and stuff like that. But this, yeah, totally foreign to me. It's, it's really kind of interesting and cool. I'd love to know more about it. And there's not a ton here. Uh, but it says, by design, these were not films of stage productions. They were plays translated to the film medium, but with complete faithfulness to the original script. So as I read that, I would assume that to mean they did not cut any dialogue right i would say at least uh you know obviously there's probably some interpretation that has to go and adaptation that has to go on as far as like stage direction setting probably a little bit you looking through the list of movies that they made there's only really one that kind of stands out to me is uh the iceman cometh which was directed by john frankenheimer so if they're making all those movies in, in a pretty short amount of time then that explains the budgetary i mean they, they are essentially shooting they would have plays. to be small budget i'm sure so yeah yeah, yeah. um that is interesting. Uh, that's yeah. a really interesting deal to, to have put together back then. Yeah, and like again, I, I just think it's important to note because then you sort of know this was not being made to be the sequel to the producers, right? Yeah. You know, or was this before the producers? I can't even. This remember. was after the producers, right? And and, that, and that's one of the things you know uh, that was so interesting to me. And and I'll just kind of jump to it real quick, just as a question that maybe sure. hangs over the rest of the podcast. I don't know, but. I remember watching the stage version, and I remember at the beginning thinking, I'm watching a comedy, but very soon after that, it did not feel funny at all. No one was playing it for laughs. Uh, it it yeah. seemed really bizarre at first, and it's like, oh, that's, that's really weird. But as it went on, you realize, no, no, this is not really, this is not something that's really meant to be funny. It doesn't feel funny. Um, so then casting the producers, I mean, one of the funniest movies <laughs> of all time, Gene Wilder, easily one of the funniest guys of all time. Zero Mostel, uh, yeah. no slouch either. And, I mean, kind of, you know, definitely hamming it up, definitely taking it over the top. I mean, you don't get more over the top than specifically with Mostel in, uh, in his apartment where he transitions to the rhinoceros that's as insane as anything you've ever seen, yeah. I think. 
Yeah. Yeah, and and I was thinking during that scene. First of all, at first I thought, oh wow, yeah, really hamming it up, really going over the top. But then at the same time, I thought, well, I don't know what what would be better than this. Who would do this better than this? Uh, right, and also like I didn't find myself kind of laughing at those moments. I mean, there's little things within that, like when he's checking out the bump on his forehead, which is supposed to be the indication of the the horn coming mm-hmm. through. He looks in one mirror and then scoots two centimeters to the left and there's another mirror and then does it again on the other wall. There's yeah. another mirror. <laughs> like, you know, there's little things like that. That's like physical comedy mm-hmm. and, and just sort of good staging uh, in a comedic way. But then, yeah, some of the dialogue and just the physical, like, stuff he was doing with his voice, like, that didn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't strike me as the same sort of brand of comedy, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're getting one sort of gag throughout. Right. And even, even man, within that, that opening scene at the restaurant, you know, it does sort of start out as this very kind of, you know, that, that's not a jokey conversation about alcoholism, really, yeah. you know. Uh, Gene Wilder is definitely a man of the sauce, and he's, you know, let me find the quote here, but he's basically saying, uh, here it is, it's like, I, I just can't get used to life. When Saturday comes around, I'm exhausted from having done nothing with my life. I need some kind of lift, diversion, so I drink. I mean, yeah. You know, you put you put that in Nicolas Cage's mouth in Las Vegas, and you've got, like you've got a, a heavy, you know, heavy really drama. depressing drama, yeah. <laughs> right? And then and you then, have a scene like uh, where Gene Wilder is trying to board up his windows, which right, is pure yeah. slapstick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but within that, with even within that that opening scene at the restaurant, you know, when the when the rhinoceros is run by, you know, six ten minutes later. And this is after Mostel and Wilder have gone to the bathroom and are dancing around, <laughs> doing all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. You've got a man falling face first into a cake. You've got a woman literally hanging from a ceiling fan that's spinning around. You know, it's like sheer chaos. There's like dishes being broken and all this stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's not at a place with something you might see in Blazing Saddles, yeah. you know. And so it just, I don't know, it went back and forth on that stuff a lot. And, and Craig, just remind me again, you're, you're saying that the... What was the the tonal consistency in the play? Was it a bit like that, or no? I, I, Did they have a man fall in a, in a the, cake? There were no, first? there were no cakes involved. Oh, waiter! As I oh, remember, man. it was really only the two characters. Like it was really oh, well. Wow, no, okay. it wasn't just two, because I guess he still had was his coworkers. The office there was co-workers? Still Daisy, yeah, and all okay. that. But but there there certainly wasn't, as I remembered anyway. There wasn't like a busy restaurant scene. Um, none of that kind of stuff. And, and it definitely felt heavier and heavier as it went on. It was. You know, either either a guy is is losing his mind, or you know, all of his friends are losing their. Uh, 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 what do I want to say? Well, that they're losing their individuality. Losing I guess. their individuality. You know, I mean, they're literally joining yeah. a herd. You know, the the word that pops into my mind is dignity, and that's not it. It is. Because no, yeah. there's a very lengthy discussion about the dignity of of nature versus humans yes. and all that stuff. You know. Some funny stuff in that too, actually. but it, but yes, it, it's it's people being sucked into, essentially being sucked into a bad idea. The bad idea being turning into a rhinoceros, not a good idea, right. but somehow it starts to look very attractive. And the more people that turn into rhinoceroses, the more people want to be rhinoceroses. Right, and this is probably most exemplified by the character Carl, who is the one of the he's sort of the loudmouth of the office. I think they're all CPAs at this very tiny office that employs four people, a boss, three CPAs, and oh, Daisy, so five. Uh, the Karen Black character, you know, but he's the one that doesn't believe in 
that anyone saw Rhinoceros. He thinks the whole thing was made up. And, you know, he's very sort of anti-establishment and the boss and all this kind of stuff. And then I think he's like the second one to turn into it. You know, and they even have like a line about it. like, after all those years complaining about the boss, he ends up being just like, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, and, and that's obviously the point. I mean, it's a little on the nose. You know, I will say like it was also kind of interesting. You know, there's one little moment that stuck out as being sort of meta and self-referential where, you know, Mostel is talking about, you know, Gene Wilder not getting out and not enjoying life and just drinking and you know, being in the humdrums of his office job. And he's like, you got to get out and enjoy culture and, you know, gets taken the avant-garde theater and the plays of, and he takes his hat off and very dramatically says, Eugene, UNESCO, yeah. <laughs> you know. Let's talk about, I mean, I think we can't not talk about Kieran Black anytime you got Kieran Black in a movie. Definitely a different role for her than I've seen before. I mean, she is sort of still kind of that uh, blonde bombshell, big hair, big boobs, slightly innocent. I mean, I don't want to say ditzy because she's not in this right. entirely, but um, she's still got some of that mold. And yet, I don't know, I just felt like she had like an interesting perspective and she brought some interesting stuff to that role. You know, the guys in the office kind of fawn over her, but kind of don't. But she's clearly sort of smitten with Stanley, with, with Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you think of her in this? Like, is that, it's an interesting place to land with a casting decision <laughs> with getting Karen Black. And I was kind of curious as to what the this character in that play you saw, was she anything like that or, or playing it the same way or, or what? The strange thing is, I don't remember that character in the play. At all? I don't, well, I don't remember any... Okay. I mean, I remember the character being there, but I don't remember any of the moments in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Which is, which is really bizarre. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as casting her in that, I mean, I don't really necessarily have any strong uh, feelings about it. She does a fine job. Yeah, I kind of, honestly, I kind of wondered a little more. Like, you know, she's there at the end. She's sort of the last one standing with him, but then they kind of end up having a disagreement. I guess that's sort of like the beginning of her transition. You're starting to see that, you know. And uh, I wrote down this one line, which I thought was great. Like, she says something about... uh She's she's talking about, oh, listen to the rhinoceros out there. Don't they sound so sweet? They're singing and, and talking. And he says something like, uh well, I guess if you can call that a language. And she says... Can you honestly say it isn't? You're not a language expert. And like just the way like she delivered that you're not a language expert line was as if she believed that with every fiber of her being yeah. and, and just loved it. And like that was like, unfortunately, I think one of the last things that she says in the movie, I was like, no, I want more of like that. I want to see them kind of, in a way, it's, it's sort of having a similar conversation that he had with, with Zero Mostel, and Zero Mostel was just in the, in the sheer delirium of turning into rhinoceros, you know? Yeah. Whereas some of that stuff was, yeah, like you were saying, it was like so broad, and, uh, broad isn't even the right words, just out of control and over the top and Robert Downey Jr. level, Hell Caesar, um, <laughs> an actor unleashed yeah. um, to his full capacities. And I don't know, she just had like a different tweak on, on what that would look like. And I was like, oh, I really kind of would love to see that. Yeah. Because it was like she was sort of, you know, the last refuge for him anyway. Right. And then let's let's talk about that then because, I, I mean, like what do you take away as far as the meaning of this movie? You know, it ends with him, you know, it, basically you're, you're, you are following a play structure in the sense that 
the movie is, is what about four or five acts. You know, there's a scene in a restaurant, there's a scene at the office and there's a scene in zero Mostel's apartment. And then there's a scene in Gene Wilder's apartment. And that's pretty much it, right? That's pretty much it. Yeah. By the end of it, you know, you've had a lot of just sort of like these, these big kind of dialogue scenes and there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I don't want to take away that, but, um, you know, it kind of becomes a question of does Gene Wilder accept the fact that maybe it would be good to be a rhinoceros um, or that there's value in, in being a human. Like, I'm just a human. Like, that's, I think he says that. He's like, I want to change, but I can't, which I think is, is metaphorically kind of interesting because it's, you know, you could touch back on the alcoholism thing. <laughs> but also, I don't know. I, the one sort of like review I looked at of this was saying that it was it was somewhat kind of trite. If, if it's just saying nonconformity has value. Like if everybody was an animal, would you really want to be an animal? You know, don't sink to that level that, that that's all this movie is saying and, and takes a sort of weird route to say that rather obviously, I don't know. Did you sort of chew on anything else? Well, thematically with this well, movie? Here's here's what I was chewing on a- after watching it. I read up on, you know, what his whole point was and where oh, he was okay, coming, cool. where Ionesco was coming from when he wrote it. So you have an informed opinion. I, I actually have <clears throat> an informed opinion. An informed, an informed, an informed, an informed, an informed opinion. This could maybe be a whole new department on our show, <laughs> and we only have one informed opinion in the in every show. We're breaking new ground here. <laughs> first. So uh, to make a long story short, because I don't understand every detail. But yeah. Ionesco uh, was Romanian. He grew up in Romania. He saw a lot of his friends go from people that he uh, understood and, and could argue and debate things with to people who joined what was known as the Iron Guard. And the Iron Guard was uh, uh, ultra-nationalist, um, uh, what was it, anti-communist, anti-capitalist, anti-Semite, anti-Semitic uh, group they they hated, they were against they everything. were they hated everything um wow. uh but 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 th- th- this play was his response to that it was that one day you'd be talking to someone and they'd say yes uh, the iron guard is terrible except for that one point that one point they kind of have a point about that and then 3 days later mm-hmm. that person's the iron guard so the iron guard is basically the rhinoceri the rhinoceros okay as i watched the movie i i i i, I kind of thought of it in terms of uh, because I am not a Trump supporter and I don't want to get into a, a political argument with anyone because I know you are but right <laughs> uh, as a non-Trump supporter I thought of you know the rhinoceri as as I don't know Trump folks who who they they, they kind of they kind of get that there's like one little idea well, that little idea seems seems all right and everyone else's supporting him and he keeps saying things and no one's calling it so maybe everything's fine and i can just feel that way and i'll just give myself over to this bad idea the thing that really struck me as i went through it uh wasn't so much about the nonconformity, but there were certain bits of of the ideas in the movie that i couldn't quite parse and i guess what it comes down to was this like obviously yeah, a lot of it is about uh not conforming not just deciding to become a dumb animal. Or apologizing for the dumb animal, I guess. Right, too, right. Know? But I guess what I couldn't get rid of, because because the movie plays it pretty vague as far as what the ideas of the rhinoceros are, right? It's not like 
It's not like sure. people are like, ah, Jews are evil, and then they become rhinoceros. Like if, if everyone said Jews are evil, and then you become a rhinoceros, then clearly being a rhinoceros is not great. But instead, it was just people who are who are sort of becoming, just turning into rhinoceros and, and, and becoming uh, seduced by <laughs> the rhinoceros song. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, yeah. and, and so there was a part of it to me, clearly it has, it has a point about nonconformity. But then there's a part of it to me where I feel like, okay, but... But what if your nature is to be a rhinoceros? Like, like right now right. we live in a time where people are transforming themselves by God. I mean, to become what they feel like inside. And, mm-hmm. Okay, and, and, and again, clearly that's not the point that the movie's really making, but a part of me felt like, but what if some of them were why not rhinoceroses? And they, they just shouldn't yeah. be, and, and, that, and it's just bad. And, and, and that kind of led to another thing where, uh, you know, many times Gene Wilder seems like he is... He doesn't want things to change. And it seems like parts of the conversation about he doesn't want things to change and he, doesn't, he wants things to stay the way they are. And that was another idea to me where I'm like, okay, so that sounds like you, 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 sound, you sound like the person who doesn't want to move into the future. You don't want to go into mm-hmm. the civil rights era, for instance. I want things to be like in the 1950s, you know. You mean when America was great. Exactly. <laughs> Making yeah. America great again, which brings us back to uh, President Trump. So I guess, yeah, for me, I, I kind of... I had a lot of that stuff battling throughout, which kind of muddied the waters, I guess, a little bit. Um, and then, and then you end with him saying, he, you know, he will not capitulate; he will not become the rhinoceroses. And so, you kind of have to decide that the rhinoceros are bad, and therefore he is a hero. I guess maybe not. Maybe maybe, maybe that's not the point at all. Uh, really, maybe yeah, the whole point is to sit there and know. say, is he right for not capitulating? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think you know. I don't. I don't. I'm not up to speed on my avant garde anything. But yeah, when like I feel like when you throw that term around, like it does sort of uh, loosen <laughs> the restrictions of of finding some sort of concrete, literal or singular interpretation. Obviously, yeah. I don't know. I I felt that too a little bit because of the setup where you know Wilder spends a good chunk of that first uh, interaction with Stan. Uh, excuse me, with John talking about the doldrums of his job. And then you see his job, and A, like, yeah, he shows up late, and within minutes it's completely distracted, and, like, nobody does any work. So it's like, well, this this ain't that bad. <laughs> like, you know, it's like there's, like, there's this funny group of people here, and then there's this girl that's great, and, um, you know, you get Mrs. Bingham running in, screaming at the top of her lungs about her husband, who also works there but didn't show up for work today because he turned into a rhinoceros. So I don't know. It was like it was hard for me to sort of, like, parse that out a little bit as well. Like if that's the conformed life, that kind of nine to five business life a little bit, which, you know, I think at this point we've seen over and over, like pounded in our head that like, you know, revolutionary road or whatever the case may be, right. the, the movie, people that feel handcuffed into that world, which also to me feels a little preachy in those instances too. It's like, yeah, like there's a lot of people where that world is just perfectly great for it and does a lot of good things. Yeah. So I don't know. I was, it, it was interesting to me, you know, he definitely, at the very end has a very dramatic large gesture of climbing up onto the roof and and speechifying a little bit you know saying i'm just a human being that's all i'll never capitulate you get a pretty awesome freeze frame ending yes which i'm always a fan of <laughs> uh, especially with a little bit of dialogue echo which they had here love it i will say i think there was one little goof in the sense that we're led to believe at this at this ending here that wilder is in fact the last human at least in this area, and he's climbing up the ladder to the rooftop 
I swear I think I saw another human being looking out the window in the building across the street. <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, I, I didn't see that myself, but I remember no, th- okay. throughout that entire sequence, I kept thinking, I wonder how many times they had to do this so that no planes were flying overhead or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it would have been tough. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting movie. I think there's definitely a lot to... Uh, think about and consider on that theme. I think that's one of the beauties of just kind of throwing it out there the way that they did is that it at least leads to the discussion of, yeah, Yeah. what's the nature of the rhinoceros? What does that mean exactly? It can fit a lot of scenarios. Yeah, it really can. And I don't know. I I think if nothing else, I I will watch the hell out of anything with Gene Wilder in it. Uh, He's just so good. And even in this, you know, I could see that role going to somebody else that doesn't have that kind of lovable, sympathy, sympathetic sadness behind him mm-hmm. that it just it feels like it would have fallen apart in a lot of ways um, yeah. without that. And I will say, anytime that guy raises his voice... <laughs> It's hysterical to me. Yeah. Like, I don't care what he's saying. Like, and in this, because, yeah, some of it is sort of, like, the stuff he's saying is is not necessarily easy to sort out as far as terms of plot or, or character or anything like that. You know, it's not a joke in the sense of screaming that my grandfather's work was doo-doo and, and young Frankenstein, which he did so well. But, man, there's just something about the pitch of his voice that is so yeah. funny when he raises it. He's just got one of those things. You have a favorite Gene Wilder movie? Anything he did with Richard Pryor should should be seen, yeah. but but honestly, I mean, I have to go back to producers because I think one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie in my life is when he's having a panic attack at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, and it, to me that was that's just like everything that that is great about Gene Wilder is right there in that moment, and uh, yeah, and I just uh, like love him for that. What about you? Uh, I'm a young Frankenstein guy for yeah. sure. Uh, I like. I mean, I think uh, Blazing Saddles is really great too, and that's a pretty small, different kind of role. Also, don't forget he had a really great bit part in Bonnie and Clyde that I, I like a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's so many of them. There really are. Uh, we could talk about them all day. He is a treasure. He is. Well, I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot left on that movie. I think uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's on Amazon. It's not a terrible version. Uh, quality's no, okay, fine. I guess. Yeah. I'd say okay. What about you? Is this something you'd recommend? I think you had to recommend this to a very specific person. <laughs> you know, it's not something yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not going to do a double feature of Willy Wonka and this for your kids. No, basically. no. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, you, you want... Uh, whoever your friend is who, who really likes to think about their movies... And maybe watch a movie mm-hmm. once or twice and, I don't know, think about the big stuff. That's the person you want. If you have some friends who have just been through a hard day uh, and just need to watch something, uh, don't, don't. Go with, uh, um, well, go with the producers. That'd be fine. Yeah, sure. It's still smart. But, hey, uh, let's do a pitch, bitch. I like that. That's a good tagline. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think hands down, okay. this is a premise that works in a lot of different ways. Sure. And my very, very simple pitch to you, Craig, is I would love to see a version 
where you do see everyone turning into some other species, be it a rhinoceros or something like that, and just, you know, take advantage of our wonderful CGI workers uh, whose names dominate the end of every single movie these days. I think I would take it away from being such a heavy interaction between like two or three people thing and really sort of make it about one guy kind of going through the world slowly realizing that everybody else is turning into something non-human and he's not Um, and not have it be about zombies or horror or anything like that you know it's I I think the fear in this movie is played comical when they're scared of the the rhinoceros and that works okay I think you know yeah that's a big animal you would be afraid of that Um, that makes sense but uh, yeah I don't know I mean there is something really kind of fascinating to me about that general premise yeah no. What about you? You've got something better I can tell. Well, I, I don't know if it's better, Sean. I'll be honest with you. First, But first, mm-hmm. I have to start off by saying this. There's a 2008 movie called Zombie Strippers that at least mm-hmm. uh, uh, they say that is this play, is Rhinoceros, but it's about zombie strippers. I have not seen the movie, the movie yet, but I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, I thought of zombies while watching exactly. this. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and definitely the reactions are similar to some of what you've seen before. Naturally yeah. so. In that uh, genre. Uh, I, I thought of uh, I Am Legend. Um, mm-hmm. But when he's sitting up mm-hmm. there uh, on, on that rooftop and he's smoking the cigarette, here's what I thought when he started doing that, which was I would still want it to be Gene Wilder. We still got to get Gene Wilder out there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the title is going to be yet, but... Rhinoceros 2? <sighs> Yeah, probably. I mean, if we want people to get excited about it, I guess we got to base it on this property, right? Rhinos and winos. <laughs> but but the thing is, yeah, because because he, because he's he's an alcoholic, he he smokes. Uh, but but the whole idea in this one is is you know we kind of we kind of come in where where he's realizing that he is humanity's last hope, and therefore he can't be smoking and drinking, like right. And and and, and so really, what the movie the movie isn't so much about him. It's not an action adventure where he saves humanity. It's kind of the stuff, in betweener stuff, where it's just like, 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 like he saves he, himself. Well, like, like he's gonna he's gonna go up some stairs, but the stairs are wet, and he's like, oh, well, if I slip and fall, I'm, I'm just gonna die, you know. So I can't. So he has to be very careful about everything. He is he is it. He is all humanity has, uh, until maybe That's at hilarious. the end we make it super bleak, and he realizes at the end, well. You know, maybe humanity's not supposed to survive. Uh, you know, if I'm the last one, and I'm I'm clearly a moron. I mean, he's not going to be impregnating anyone. It doesn't sound like it doesn't so sound like it. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like once him. we get this to the studio, uh, they're going to make us give him a love interest, and that's going to ruin everything. And, and we don't want to skew over to uh, um, uh, yeah, what's his name's uh, you know house, uh, last man on earth, Will Will Forte. Because he's doing a great job with that over there. We, that's not what we want to do. Right. This is about a guy who has to save humanity, doesn't know how to save humanity, but only knows he has to at least stay alive until he figures out how to save humanity. And that's the movie. That's the movie. I like that. Yeah. I mean, there's something simple and yeah. interesting yeah. to that. Very low budget. Micro budget. What about structurally? Would you do anything like this movie? Or would you completely blow that up? No, yeah, no. I don't think it would be anything like this. Yeah, I I, I think, I think it would because it, it would really be uh, it would really hinge on whoever that perform. That's why it has to be, I think, Gene Wilder because you have to really be with somebody that you want to be with for an hour and a half because mm-hmm. he's going to be it. Um, and I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't think people have turned into rhinoceroses, but 
but there has to be there has to be like some kind of hope that he can restart the humanity engine and that's the title humanity engine that's a sci-fi title right that could work yes um so anyway that's that's my that's my billion dollar idea tonight and the te- the tagline will be make sure to check your oil yeah nice this is definitely fertile ground and i think that's what's interesting about it there's just a lot going on within that very very simple concept and this is a very very specific way to do that um i agree in this movie so check it out and let us know what you think of it when you get a chance and until then craig i think maybe let's move on and talk about what we're gonna do next time let's talk about it shaw Well, we've got another listener suggestion, and I know some of you out there have already made suggestions a while ago, and yeah, we're going to get to those too, but this time, we are going to take the advice of a Twitter user named at 9 Films, and I don't think this movie that uh, they suggested is in itself nine hours long. I hope not. But uh, it's called Monsieur Verdoux. Excellent, excellent pronunciation, yeah, by the way. I think so. Excellent pronunciation. And this is... 1947 Charlie Chaplin movie. It's also got Orson Welles. And they wrote the screenplay together. Can't beat it. Get out of town. Are you serious? It seems like it should be the biggest movie in history. If it's nine hours, it could, it could be, be. You know, That's true. Uh, you have to look around to find this. I don't know that it's streaming per se, but there is a Criterion version out. Uh, definitely that might be worth looking into. And then I, I noticed it is available for rent on Amazon and I would assume iTunes. So check that out, Monsieur Verdoux. Very nice. Uh, and we'll be back next time to talk that out. And thanks again for making that suggestion. And we look forward to getting to the rest of them. That's right. Thanks for listening. Uh, go hit that subscribe button over at iTunes and make us rich. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Richer. Richer, <laughs> yeah. Let's face it. <laughs> All right. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.